Verse 3, Psalm 126. The Lord hath done great things for us, whereof we are glad. Tonight I want to talk to you about great things. Not great things that we've done, but great things that the Lord hath done. We've mentioned many times how some will stand on the day of judgment and say, Lord, haven't we done many wonderful works, great things in your name. But anything that we do is called a work of iniquity. That's what the Lord called it. Everything we do is mixed with sin and therefore corrupted. Only the Lord does great things. Notice that these works of the Lord, they're already done. The Lord hath done great things. And he's done great things for us. He's already done them. The work's finished. You know, that is such a wonderful revelation if the Lord's revealed that to you. The work's finished. There's not anything for you to do. These things the Lord hath done, they're great things, and they're not the great things in and of or to the world. They're great things that the Lord has done for sinners. And He's done them for His people, chosen sinners. Great things concerning their deliverance from captivity. That's what the Psalm, this Psalm 126 is all about. It's when the Lord returned the Jews from their captivity in Babylon. It was a freedom that was lost but returned by the Lord. Mankind lost everything in Adam. Man didn't just stump his toe in the garden when Adam fell. No, he died spiritually. We lost everything. We were sold under sin, Paul says. Like Gomer on the slave block, we have nothing to pay our debtors. God's law and God's justice demands perfection. No earthly man can pay the demand, but a heavenly man can. The God man can. <laughs> the God man did for his people. He's the only one that could. And like Gomer, we're found wanting. We owe more than we can pay. But our Hosea and our heavenly husband, the Lord Jesus, bought us with a price. And we belong to him. And now we're the servants of God. Christ, my Lord, not only restores all, but he makes his people one with him and the Father, and we inherit all that is theirs. And isn't that a great thing? Forgiveness of sin by the payment of another. Perfect righteousness by the giving of another. Perfect acceptance by the doing of another. That's why the believer's confidence and assurance of salvation is found in the things that Christ has already done. From the foundation of the world, before you and I were ever born, before we had ever done any good or evil, that God's purpose, according to election, might stand. It's of God that calls. It's of God that wills. Not because man wills to be saved. 
Before there was a sinner, there was a Savior. Before there was a need of a sacrifice, before man ever offended God, God provided for Himself a sacrifice and God provided Himself as the sacrifice. And what a great thing that is. In Joshua chapter 24, you can go ahead and turn there with me if you like. Joshua, as we saw last time, declares the great things that the Lord had done for Israel. But notice how he begins in verse 2. He begins by saying, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel. In other words, this is God's word to you. I am delivering to you God's word, Joshua saying. This is what the Lord says about himself. That's what this, the, the Bible is. It's a book of what God says about himself. Do we believe God's word and what he says about himself? Tonight, I'm delivering to you God's word. This is what the Lord God says about himself. Joshua here is preaching the gospel. That's what a preacher does. He declares to you the things that the Lord says concerning himself. We preach what our Joshua, the Lord Jesus, preached. What did the Lord Jesus preach? He preached himself. And we preach him. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he, the Lord Jesus, expounded. He preached unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. That's our message. Jesus Christ and him crucified. Joshua in his last message here, before he dies, is talking about what the Lord has done for Israel what the Lord has done for his people. Are you interested in what the Lord has done for sinners? That's what all true preaching is. That's what true preaching does. It points sinners to the Lord Jesus Christ. It says in him, your sin is put away. In him, your sins are forgiven. In him, you have perfect righteousness. In him, you have acceptance with God. It's all about him. Now Joshua wasn't giving his own opinion. He was made a mouthpiece. That's what a preacher is. Nothing more. He's a God-made mouthpiece. Just a voice crying in the wilderness, warning sinners to prepare ye the way of the Lord. Reminding those who hear and believe concerning the great things that God has already done. And as we saw last time in verse 3, the Lord said... And I want us to see these things again, so I mean to go over them again on purpose. But he said, I took your father Abraham from the other side of the flood. I took him from that idolatrous nation and that idolatrous family of his. And this again reminds us that Abraham was also a fallen, wretched Man, a sinner saved by divine intervention, by God divinely intervening in his life and mercy and grace. The Lord God of Israel says, I took your father, Abraham. It was me, the Lord, I did it. It was not Abraham that sought me. If we seek the Lord, it's because the Lord enabled us to seek him. He gave us life and, and gave us a desire to seek him. The Lord says, I took, I called, I led Abraham. And every believer says the same thing. It was God that called me. It was, it was God that set his affection on me. 
It was God that revealed the gospel to me. It was God that gave me a desire to, to seek him. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place where he should after receive for an inheritance, he obeyed and he went out not knowing whither he went. You know what we call that? Effectual calling. God's calling is effectual. If God calls you, you're going to come. By faith, believing God, he, Abraham, sojourned in the land of promises in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. Christ is that promise. Jesus Christ is the promised one. Jesus Christ is the promised land. When we talk about entering to the land of promise, we're talking about entering into Christ who is the promised one. For he, Abraham, looked for a city which hath foundation, whose builder and maker is God. Jesus Christ is the sure foundation and the solid rock. Jesus Christ is our inheritance. The Lord Jesus Christ is the tabernacle in which we dwell. Christ is our city of refuge. The only reason Abraham did not remain an idol worshiper and the only reason that you and I have any interest in the things of Christ is for the same reason. Because God took him out and God took us out. I shudder to think where I would be without Christ in the meaning in my life. The Lord continues and said, I led him throughout the land of Canaan. I multiplied his seed. I gave him Isaac. Who did? The Lord did. How can men read the Bible and not see the salvations of the Lord? It's God who leads. It's God who multiplies. It's God who gives all things, especially life. He's the only one that can. Mm -hmm. Only God can give life. That's why we should never complain about anything. I'm talking to me now. I'll tell you, I, all things are the result of his divine purpose. All things are according to his good will and pleasure. God gave life, Isaac, to Abraham and Sarah, who had no life left in them. Their bodies were old, dead, and barren to, to giving life. Only God could do such a great thing as that. He said, I gave Isaac. How did such an old man, 100 years old, and a, and a woman who was barren, 90 years old, give life? God said, I did it. I gave life. Have you been given life from above? God did it. Is Christ your only hope of life in eternal salvation? That's a great thing that he's done for you. No less than 20 times in these few verses, the Lord says, I did this and I did that, which all led to your good. All of it did. Verse 4, I gave Isaac, Jacob, and Esau. I gave Esau a nation of his own. I sent Jacob down to Egypt by famine. You remember that? I brought Abraham's seed into slavery. I, the Lord, have done all these great things. In verse 5, the Lord said, I sent Moses and also Aaron. It was God who sent the message of deliverance to Pharaoh through Moses and Aaron. The Lord says, I'm the one that plagued Egypt. Who sent all those plagues? God sent them. Everything that happened 
to Egypt, everything that happened in Egypt, everything that happened to the Egyptians, God said, I did it to them. And after I was done with them, He said, I brought you out. And not only you, uh, verse 6, I brought out your, uh, your fathers. I brought your fathers out of Egypt. You know, when you look at Israel's journey from the time they left Egypt until the time they possessed Canaan, the Lord was involved in every step of it. And that's what Joshua is doing here in these verses. He's preaching the gospel. He's pointing men to Christ and saying, the Lord did this for you. That's what we do in preaching. When the Egyptian army pursued Israel, it was the Lord who again delivered them. Verse 7, I brought the waters upon them. I covered them with the, the waters of the Red Sea. He said, your eyes have seen what I have done in Egypt. Not what they have done. What did Israel do? They didn't do anything. Verse 8, I brought you into the land of promise on the side of Jordan in the land of the Amorites. I gave them into your hand that you might possess their land. Verse 9, Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and warred against Israel. And he sent Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. And look, he says, verse 10, I would not hearken unto the voice of Balaam. I'm the, I'm the one in control here. God doesn't answer unto man. Man answers unto God. Human beings are the ones who fell and died, not God. Our God's in the heavens and He hath done, and friends, He still does whatsoever He pleases. You know, many today preach Christ as one who's pitiful and needs to be reconciled to us. If we don't love Him, no one will. Poor little Jesus wants your heart. Won't you give it to Him? You know, to men and women, do men and women really think that little of God? Verse 12, the Lord said, I sent the hornet, just as He sent the frogs, just as He sent the gnats, just as He sent the flies, just as He sent the locusts. He's in control of all these things. In verse 13, the Lord said, I have given you what you didn't labor for. <laughs> cities that you didn't build vineyards and olive yards that you didn't plant friends this is my father's world it all belongs to him it's lawful it's right for him to do what he wills with his own it belongs to him it's his to do with as he pleases and then in verse 14 Joshua says now therefore because of all these things we should fear the Lord, reverence and worship Him, serve the Lord in sincerity and truth. Put away the gods and idols of your fathers and serve you, the Lord. Be a bond slave of Jesus Christ. <laughs> the life story of the sinner saved by grace, his testimony is not unto us. His testimony is to God be the glory. Amen. Why? Because He did it all. Every bit of it. Every bit of it. Serve the Lord. That's the message of the Bible. All the Lord did, He did for the salvation of His people, and all the Lord did was for the glory of His own great name's sake. 
and out of love and gratitude and thanksgiving, His people will serve Him. They will consider it a privilege to do so. That's what a true bond slave does. Service to his Lord is for life. You know, the Mosaic Law allowed the slave to voluntarily serve his master after his contractual time as a servant was fulfilled. He, he got into debt. The man paid off his debt and he agreed to work for the man for a period of time. But after that time was fulfilled, if the bond slave declared, I love my master and my wife and my children, which he had while under the service of his master, and I don't want to go free, his master would take him down to the, the judges and pierce his ear with an awl, and he would be his master servant for life because he wanted to be. It wasn't out of obligation. It was out of love. Folks today don't even seem to know much about the word serve. Everybody's overworked and underpaid. They think that God's in the business of serving them. They do. He gives them good health and vast wealth. Christ came to serve, but not the way men think. <laughs> Christ came to serve how? He gave His life a ransom for many. That word serve means to carry out, fulfill, and do the will of your master. And being a bond servant to the Lord means to attend to the Lord's word. It means to attend to his desires, his will, and his purpose. That word serve also means to worship. A true bond slave, a true bond servant worships their master, serves their master. That's what it means to be God's servant. Look uh, back at Joshua chapter 22, verse 5. It says, But take diligent heed to do the commandment and the law which Moses, the servant of the Lord, charged you, to love the Lord your God and to walk in His ways and to keep His commandments and to cleave unto Him and to serve Him with all your heart and with all your soul. Look at chapter 23, verse 7. That you come not among these nations, these nations, these that remain among you, neither make mention of the name of their gods, nor cause to swear by them, neither serve them, nor bow yourselves unto them, but cleave unto the Lord your God as you've done unto this day. And then here in chapter 24, verse 15. Joshua says, if it seem evil, troublesome, wearisome, not a pleasure or delight unto you to serve the Lord, choose this day whom ye will serve. This kind of worship, friends, this kind of service, this kind of gratitude is absolutely necessary for a true bond slave who loves his master more than life itself. If serving God is undesirable or if it's a chore to you, then Joshua is saying, go ahead and choose to serve and worship your false gods. Choose this day whom you will serve. Now that word choose means to commit. Commit this day to whom you'll serve. Yes, God does the choosing. You've not chosen me, the Lord Jesus said, but I've chosen you and I've ordained you to bring forth fruit. 
But when the Lord chooses, the chosen sinner will commit to Him. That's what the serving of a bond servant is. It's a lifelong commitment to serve your master. And Joshua says here, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Joshua's resolve and his influence was for all Israel to serve the Lord. And as he stands before the people of Israel this day, the last time they'll ever speak to him in this way, that's the one thing upon his heart is to serve the Lord. Don't you wish every sinner could realize that salvation is the gift of God? Why He paid our ransom and serving Christ is our reasonable service. He chooses, He calls, He conforms. He chose us in Christ before the world began. We didn't have anything to do with it. God didn't look ahead in time and see that we were going to do good and choose us based on that. That would make salvation of man. God calls us by the preaching of Christ and Him crucified. He conforms us to Christ who is our perfect righteousness. That's why we fear the Lord. That's why we serve Him in sincerity and truth. That's why we must put our idols away. I think about Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. We won't be careful to answer you on this matter. We're not going to serve. We're not going to bow down to your golden image. We're not going to serve your gods. We're going to serve and we're going to trust our God and we're going to trust Him to take care of us regardless of what you say you're going to do. A child of God will not fear what man can do unto him. He fears what God can do unto him and he knows that being a bond servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, that Christ is going to take care of him. Everything's going to be all right. We must put away the gods of our imaginations along with all the other things that interfere with our worship of Christ. And actually everything that we allow to interfere with the worship of God is what we make an idol. Oh, I tell you, if the Lord came and pointed out all our idols to us, we would absolutely be shocked. As Joshua prepared to leave this world, the sole desire of his heart was to proclaim this needful truth to all whom he dearly loved. Our master, the Lord Jesus Christ, is the one thing needful. He has the words to eternal life. Where else would we go? Put away anything and everything that would distract you and keep you from serving him. Now you know what those things are. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these other things be added unto you. Mm -hmm. True worship is a voluntary act. No one will ever worship the Lord out of threat of loss or gain of reward. It just won't happen. Joshua doesn't say you must worship the Lord. That's something that we must freely and willingly do. Joshua said that only the Lord must be worshipped. He didn't say that uh, we must worship, but if we are to worship, it's only the Lord that we are to worship. Amen. And the words there, if it seem evil, evil to you, 
to serve the Lord. It means simply means if it's burdensome to you. Is it burdensome for you to, to, to serve the Lord? Not a believer, it's not. It's a privilege. Is it a burden for you to come and hear the gospel preached? If it is, then you need to reevaluate things. Does it seem troublesome and unpleasant to you when you... Uh, when you come to worship, our Lord is not in need of such worship. Worship's only acceptable when it's freely done, though. But you cannot worship God in spirit and truth and cleave to your idols. Can't do it. You can't serve God a mammon. You can't love God in the world. The believer commits and says, as for me and my house, we will. Serve the Lord. Yes. Now the response of Israel here is worthy of our emulation. Verse 16, And the people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God, He it is that brought us up and our fathers out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, and which did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way wherein we went. And among all the people through whom we passed, the Lord did it all. We acknowledge that. Verse 18, And the Lord drave out from before us all the people, even the Amorites, which dwelt in the land. Therefore we also serve the Lord, for He is our God. Such is the heart of the true believer. But I would have you to notice in those three verses there that nothing is said of Israel about the putting away of their strange gods. And here's the amazing thing. When Israel responded in the, this positive manner towards the words of Joshua, there were sti still strange gods among them. Uh, verse 22, Joshua said unto the people, you are witnesses against yourself that, you've cho that you have chosen you, the Lord, to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. He said, now therefore put away, said he, the strange gods which are among you and incline your heart unto the Lord God of Israel. And the people said unto Joshua, the Lord our God we will serve and his voice will we obey. Israel said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods, but they still housed other gods, making them eyewitnesses against themselves. And in verse 19, when Joshua said, you cannot serve the Lord for he is a holy God. He's a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. He, if ye forsake the Lord and serve strange gods, then he'll turn and do you hurt and consume you after that he hath done you good? And the people said unto Joshua, Nay, but we will serve the Lord. Now Joshua is not saying here that they cannot serve the Lord at all. There's no restrictions uh, from serving the Lord. But what Joshua is saying here is if you conceal and you give sanctuary to these idols in your homes and in your hearts, you cannot truly serve the Lord. And you can't. You cannot serve God and mammon. You can't have two masters. You can only have one. This is a transgression that the Lord will not forgive. 
And that's forsaken him for what you regard to be a rival. God will have no rivals. The reason why you cannot serve the Lord along with idols is because the Lord is holy. And in the context of these verses, that word holy means separate and unique and singular. You see, there's no God but God. And He alone is worthy of our worship. And He says He's a jealous God. Honor and glory belong to the Lord alone. And He's entitled to worship. And He's entitled to our service. And that's exactly what he expects from us. They said, God forbid, be it far from us to worship idols. And Joshua tells them in verse 21 that their words are binding words. You know, it's better not to make a vow than to make a vow and break it. That's scriptural. Better not to make promises and not keep the promise. Uh, it's, it's, it's worse to, to do so. Your, your vow will stand as a witness against you in the end if you don't do what you promised. Verse 25, so Joshua, now look at this. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and he set them a statute and an ordinance in Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God and he took a great stone and he set it up there under an oak that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. Every time they came to worship the Lord in the sanctuary, they saw these words. In verse 27, And Joshua said unto all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness unto us, for it hath heard all the words of the Lord which he spake unto us. It shall be therefore a witness unto you, lest you deny your God. So Joshua let the people depart, every man unto his inheritance. And upon Israel's promise, Joshua puts them in mind of the covenant. Thou shalt not make uh, other gods before me. That was the first commandment of the ten. Thou shalt not make any graven image. Thou shalt not bow to them. That was the second. And Joshua wrote the words of the law on, on a stone and it stood as a witness by the sanctuary of the Lord. Now we're free to worship the Lord and we're free to put away our idols and we're free to enjoy the benefits and the blessings of God's grace. May the Lord be pleased to enable us to cast down our idols. Um, destroy anything other than Christ that we might lean upon. It's so easy to get caught up in this world and the things that it throws at you. Um, you know, and there's a fine line, a real fine line between the things that are necessary in this life and the things that we consume upon our lust. And it's so easy for us to justify things, isn't it? But anything, even those things that seem innocent and harmless, if they're put before our worship of Christ or given precedent over that, they become rivals to Him. And God's Word is clear. Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and only Him shalt thou serve. To worship the Lord is to serve the Lord. Same thing. And to serve the Lord is to worship Him. Worship is an expression of reverence and adoration. 
service to our Master is the same thing. You'll truly serve the one whom you worship. And you'll truly worship the one that you serve. And as for the child of God, the believer, to worship the Lord is to serve one another. How do you know that you've passed from death to life? Because of your love for the brethren. Your service to one another. Your concern for one another. You know, to worship the Lord is to serve His church. And to worship is to serve His gospel. The Lord hath done great things for us. He deserves all the honor, all the glory. And we're glad that He's done great things for us. Aren't, aren't we glad? Yes. We're happy about the things that He's done for us. How do we show it? We, we serve Him with gladness. You know, in the last two chapters of the book of Joshua, the, that word serve is used 14 different times. Lord, help us to serve You. That's my desire. I want to serve the Lord. I really do. And I want to serve Him in sincerity and truth. I want to serve Him for God's glory and our good and for Christ's sake. Well, we're about to finish up the book of Joshua. Maybe one or two more steps.